Happy holidays, everyone, and Merry Christmas. Uh, This is a very special show today on the American Shoreline Podcast Network. Peter, a first of its kind, I believe, a (laughs) full ASPN holiday extravaganza (laughs) for you here on Christmas Day. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we've got the full team, and I think I think the first thing to do is we got to introduce everybody because uh, not uh, we, not everyone has been on ASPN before. We all know Chloe's voice because she's our wonderful ad read uh, on ASPN, but uh, we need to introduce the other members of our team, Peter. And yeah. uh, I'll begin. I guess I should begin. We got, of course, Tyler Buckingham, me, Peter Ravella, you, yeah. Uh, Chloe Powers, who I mentioned earlier. Chloe, welcome to the show. Hello, happy to be here. Luca, I'm not even going to try to pronounce your last name. Venagoni. Uh, we're all here in uh, Austin, Texas, and uh, which is very cool that we've, we've managed to get the whole team together for this holiday uh, show, at least all of us here in town. We do have Felicia uh, out in Vancouver, Washington. Felicia, how are you doing today? Hi, doing great. And we have sun today. She's oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Of course, it, it t- does tend to be a little bit on from the, the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, a little a little rainy and cloudy over there. Huh? Felicia Almeda Schult, in fact, hmm. uh, who is a really important part of our ASPN Coastal News Today team. So, yeah, this is a cool show, Tyler, because we're just going to, uh, you know, I don't think our listeners have uh, heard from, uh, and know who puts all this stuff together that we do at Coastal News Today and ASPN. Yeah, and this we get to meet. Group. We get to meet everybody. Yeah. And uh, you, so we're gonna we're gonna, we got a few s- little segments lined up uh, to do this show, but we're, we thought it'd be fun to get to know everyone. Yeah. To go around and discuss uh, our uh, Christmas traditions. Yeah. And I think we should start with with Felicia, uh, who definitely uh, has the traditions maybe the furthest away from home. Felicia, why don't you tell us about uh, your your family's Christmas traditions back home in Corsica? Yeah, so I'm from Corsica, which is a little island in the Mediterranean Sea, which is part of France. And everyone will notice pretty fast, you know, my accent. Um, So what we do in Corsica, um, I would say if we start with food, (laughs) I would say we eat a lot. And I think that is common to France. We like to eat. And when you go to a dinner or anything, it's going to last hours because, um, yeah, like, for example, That's my great. mom just sent me a little WhatsApp yesterday and a photo. Something we do is like the 13 deserts. Um, basically, you use different kind of nuts that you fill with marzipan. You put clementines on a tray. Um, what do you put as well? Different kind of cakes and cookies. Because I checked online, so I'm sure I, I don't say anything stupid. But basically, the 13 deserts apparently are supposed to represent foods from the region where Christ lived and died. So, so yeah, so you basically little things that you can snack on during the day. You know, I I never thought about that. What would that include? Christ was a Mediterranean guy. I would say the pistachio is in there. I would say that. Is the pistachio in there? Yeah, you can put different kind of nuts, yeah. The date? Uh, Yeah, you can put that in something that you, yeah, and the dates, you fill them with marzipan. So, Felicia, what is a marzipan? What does that mean? It's uh, some almond paste. Actually, you can find it here. It's an almond uh, except paste. In, yeah, except in French, you can find it in different colors. You can find it dyed in pink or green or just white. Oh. <laughs> Do you have, so when, so when you grew up in Corsica, an island in the Mediterranean, I think it is, isn't it? Or is it in the Atlantic? God, No, it's terrible. the Mediterranean. We're really close to Sardinia. Okay. And pretty close to Italy as well, and the gulf between France and Italy. So I see. Uh, actually, Luca and I have families that don't live too far from each other. Well, that's a that's a nice little uh, a little transition. Well, I want transition. to know if everybody does. Everybody come over. Does everybody come over to uh, Felicia to your house? What's the What's the house like in Corsica at Christmas Day? Yeah. So basically, we do actually you know same thing Christmas tree. The house is decorated. We actually have the whole family, and after dinner, we go to the church plaza of my little village, and usually you have a really big fire. So during the week before uh, the midnight midnight ma- uh, mass, they accumulate a giant pile of wood, 
And so you have this giant fire burning on the plaza during the mass and after the mass. And people usually just hang out around the fire and, and chat. That sounds lovely. It sounds like a, a lovely way to, yeah. to do the holiday in a little village. Uh, now, Luca, uh, Felicia made reference to the fact that you have a bit of an Italian tradition running in your family. I do. What do you all do for uh, Christmas? So every year, every Christmas, we actually drive up to Topeka, Kansas, where my mother is from, and um, hang out with my Kansas, big, Kansas, yeah, heartland of America, as far away from the coast as you can get. Wow! <laughs> but it's actually always a really good time, especially in years when it snows. So my mom is actually the ninth of ten children. So we wow. have, have a huge family on that side, like sixteen cousins, and um, it's. It, I have so many great memories of going there when I was a kid. And so, were you in Kansas last year? Uh, I was, yeah. Wow. So, mm-hmm. this is how, is this the first year in some while that you haven't been able to go to Kansas for Christmas? I think the first year in over a decade that I haven't that I haven't gone back. Yeah. So, I'm definitely missing out on that right now. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, for the listeners out there, Luca Vinagoni, who uh, joined Coast News Today and ASPN this year, uh, is the guy who who looks after our marketing and list development and graphic design and uh, outreach to uh, sponsors as well. So <clears throat> for all you sponsors, potential sponsors out there, the engineering companies, the GIS firms, Ocean Tech guys, uh, Luca's the guy you hear from to become a sponsor of ASPN. And I think you sh- they should do it. That would be a Christmas present for us. Well, it would be. And you can get in touch with Luca by emailing him at Luca at CoastalNewsToday.com. That's right. <laughs> and it's more of a Christmas present to any potential sponsor also. You know, we, um, reach our audience. It would be a great opportunity for any coastal engineering or GIS company. So You hear that, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> from Luca's mouth yes. onto our airwaves. It's a good deal. It's actually a good deal for your company. Chloe... You're, you're another Hello. Austinite. You're a Texan. What's yep. what, are, what are your uh, Christmas traditions like? Well, every year we usually go to the Trail of Lights in Zilker Park here in Austin. Um, we're not doing that this year because of COVID, um, but that's always a fun uh, Austin tradition that we have. Um, we always get a real Christmas tree, even though evergreen trees don't really grow down here in Texas. And every year on Christmas Eve, uh, we get to open one present, um, but my dad changes the rules every year as to which present we get to open. Um, (laughs) And I'm fortunate that I'm here with my family in Austin, so I feel like I'm one of the few people that um, won't have their Christmas plans drastically changed by COVID. No question. That is a blessing, I guess, to be so close up for myself, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, I usually go home uh, to California to be with my family during the Christmas yeah. holiday period. Uh, as our listeners know, I do uh, provide a little, I try to make a little content from the California coast. Right. Right. Little field notes. Little field notes uh, content for y'all when I go out west. But this year, obviously not in the cards. Um, Peter, what what do you do with your family well, on I mean, Christmas? Well, I mean, I wanted to just... Uh, Pause for a second and, and tell people what Chloe does. Oh, that's a great idea. You know, because uh, Chloe joined Coastal News Today this year and has been an absolute stellar addition to the team and um, has really uh, made huge contributions. But if you're a, a subscriber to Coastal News Today or you're a reader of Coastal News Today, the person who puts that together five days a week is Chloe Powers, and you do an outstanding job. Thank you. And... Uh, curating the news from the coast and um it's been really great this year having you on the team and uh you know next year's got some new horizons for you i understand yep i recently learned that i'm going to be working uh with the senate research center uh for the legislative session in texas wow congratulations thank you yeah this is a big deal because uh you know here in austin is the capital of texas the legislature begins in january and the uh, uh senate research What's it called? Caucus? The Senate Research Center. Center is the group of people who analyze all of the bills for policy and fiscal implications. So, you know, there's a lot of smart people at Coastal News today in ASPN. And Chloe, congratulations on your new position in the Texas legislature. We're going to find out what's going on over there. 
We will, and hopefully you'll be able to continue uh, on doing a little work with us in between yes. you know, the busy uh, sections there of the legislative session. Here in Texas, they only do it every other year, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Yeah. Kind of a different vibe when you, uh, when you just take a year off, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> and then you have yes. to come back and make up for it. Yeah. Interesting rhythm. Interesting kind of a laid-back country jam there on the political rhythm. I hear that the original reason that the Texas legislature only meets every two years is because of how big the state used to be relative to their modes of transportation back then. Because it was like a big deal for representatives from all over the state to meet in Austin, like traveling by horseback, you know, all that way. So that makes sense. In the Texas Constitution, they say it's like once every two years, that's all we're going to do. You know, because driving from Austin to El Paso, it's what, 11 hour drive and you haven't left the state. I mean, could you imagine traveling from far west Texas to Austin by horse or wagon? It would take you, you know, what, three weeks or something. It would be a big commitment for sure. Having to get away from the farm, uh, (laughs) get off the ranch and coming into Austin would definitely be a major commitment. Uh, So... And then, if, you know, we kind of went around and described what everyone did. And we, we uh, Felicia, I want to make sure we give a, uh, a hat tip to you and your contributions. Felicia's our lead on our build out of ASPN University, yeah. which has turned into just this amazing uh, grant proposal that we're putting together. And hopefully at, a some, at some point here soon in the future, we'll ha- be able to talk about it a little bit more. Well, Tyler, I'm really excited about ASPN University, our new podcast channel that we're developing right now. Uh, And Felicia has been the leader of this project in 2020 and such a great addition to the team and has done such a spectacular job figuring out what we can do with this podcast channel. It's going to be dedicated to coastal science, coastal marine science, research and engineering, uh, a show that you're going to learn. It's not a show. It's a channel. It'll be a network channel. Um, it's going to be spectacular and, um, Felicia has done a great job trying to figure out how to do it. And, you know, we've got work to do. It'll be coming in 2021 though. It will be. Felicia, do you want to add anything to that? No, I mean, I think it's going to be a really exciting project because you really want to have the research that is happening on different campuses, um, colleges and universities just to be out there. So students can share their perspectives as well as, faculties, postdocs, and also want to make sure that it's a channel that is as diverse as inclusive as possible. So a lot of, you know, good opportunities. I think it's going to be a mix of different, you know, projects, also different formats. I mean, we're developing everything now. That's why it was so exciting, but also we're not really sure yet what it's going to look like, but it's going to be good. It's going to be spectacular. And if you're out there and and work in a university research uh, department that's you know, deals with coastal and marine issues, and you're interested in learning more about ASPNU and how your work might be featured on this new network, um, you got to reach out to Felicia at Felicia at CoastalNewsToday.com and get in touch with her and let us know what you're thinking about it. Uh, It's a great project. I think we're in phase one of the development, or phase two, I think, by now. Yeah, you know, it, you know, it reminds me of uh, a gr- the great Christmas tradition of putting all of your presents under the tree. You know, we don't silo off all of, you know, all of the presents from mom under one tree and all of the presents <laughs> from dad under the other. We're going to, this is a channel Mix where, it up. a channel where we're going to provide that same landscape style discussion that we are providing here on ASPN, uh, specifically focused on the research and academic work that is happening around the country, and frankly, around the world, hopefully, because yeah. it's, all, it's all extremely relevant. We need to get smarter about everything, which is a big undertaking, but we really believe that this ASPNU concept that Felicia has led will be a tremendous tool moving forward, Yeah, uh, and we're really excited about it. And Felicia, you have just done an amazing job. Uh, and thank you very much for that update on it. Um, so Thanks. we thought it'd be fun to play a little game uh, here called Thumbs Up or Thumbs Down. And of course, this is a podcast. We're going to have to do, uh, we'll be sure to say what, what everyone's doing. So if someone's making a thumb sign, we will all be on the same page. <laughs> uh, we will. But, but the, first, uh, the first subject matter 
is deep sea mining. This was a Peter Ravella special. Peter, yeah. Peter, yeah. what is your thumbs up or thumbs down on deep sea mining? Well, I'm going to give um, <clears throat> deep sea mining a thumbs down. And if you've been um, harsh right out of the gate, well, thumbs down. you know, I mean, if you've been following along on Coastal News today, we've been reporting on this all year. Uh, the International Seabed Authority is working. And countries around the world are beginning to lease the seabed in an effort to mine for strategic minerals on the bottom of the sea. Uh, it's a huge effort. This is going to happen uh, on coastlines all around the world. Uh, and here's why I'm thumbs down. I think that the idea of economically exploiting the seabed is kind of an inevitability, I think. But the protocols and how to manage it and how to allow... Uh, this to happen and how much of it to allow to happen and what the impacts are and how to deal with it, none of that has been really worked out. So uh, while I understand the economic driver for seabed, deep sea minerals, it's, you know, manganese and all kinds of uh, polysulfides, all of these metals that are important in, in uh, renewable energy and computers and phones and all the shit that we need and we like. Yeah. So uh, it's not a bad thing to go after it, but the but I'm really concerned that the the international uh, protocols that are necessary to handle this entire new industry are just painfully thin right now. So I'm giving it a thumbs down. Thumbs down for Peter Ravella. Felicia, you're next. What do you think on deep sea mining? Thumbs up or thumbs down, or maybe a thumb sideways? <laughs> I guess. <sighs> I think I go mostly, mostly also like thumbs down. But what I like about it, maybe it will be also a way to maybe get more funding and financing for deep sea exploration, which we need because so far, um, I think we need to explore a little more what is going down there. There are a lot of efforts, but still, I think money should go a little more towards that. So maybe if you have deep sea mining, it's going to open the door to more financing and exploration. But I agree with Peter that especially depending what is happening and if it's happening, I don't know, so of, you know, in the high sea area, that's always tricky because as we've seen with overfishing, for example, I mean, fishing in general, it's, it's a mess out there in the high seas. Mm -hmm. And so the seabed is like not a lot of laws and regulations right now. So except if it's within your, I guess, exclusive economic zone, yeah, it's a little different, but past that, um, yes. And there are like so many risks that we are not, you know, a way off. And if, for me also, we should be for now focusing on what we know, like, I don't know, renewable energies with, um, I don't know, could be wave energy, can be wind energy. But as Peter said, so there are maybe some materials we need as well for that. So it's a tricky one, but it's a more toward the thumb down. Leaning toward thumbs down for Felicia, ladies and gentlemen, Luca. I saw you looking at me. You got a hot take. What is it? Thumbs up or thumbs down on deep sea mining? Yeah, uh, deep sea mining. Well, I think Peter laid it out pretty well um, for 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 me at least, and I would have to go thumbs down on this one also. Um, I think he um, he laid out how you know we don't really have a regulatory framework yet on how we're gonna like do permitting and um, leasing for the seabed mining stuff. So I think before we, you know, immediately take advantage of this, this natural resource that we can exploit, we need to, you know, do the map, the seafloor, figure out what minerals are where and how they're vital for that part of the ocean's ecosystem or its biodiversity or how it affects, you know, uh, climate science, because these are, you know, an integral part of you know the ocean ecosystem so i absolutely think that more research needs to be done before we go in there with these trawlers and you know mess up the bottom of the ocean for the short-term benefit of just harnessing resources so it's going to be a thumbs down for me. Th thumbs down for luca chloe uh what do you think thumbs up or thumbs down there on deep sea bed mining well uh Sorry for being unoriginal, but I'm going to have to go thumbs down as well. Uh, after running stories about deep sea uh, mining on coastal news for the past few months, my major concern is the environmental impact that it'll have. And since it is a new industry, I'm concerned that there aren't as much uh, research or studies done to know the exact impact that it's going to have on the bottom of the floor or bottom of the seafloor. 
And uh, honestly, I'm just concerned that if we're uh, dredging stuff up from the bottom of the ocean, that we're going to bring something that we don't want to see. I don't really want to know what's on the bottom of the ocean. The crack. Wow. I don't, I don't want to be <laughs> bothering whatever is down there. Well, well, you know, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to just play devil's advocate because uh, it's more entertaining that way. I'm going to go thumbs up. I am, uh, for the sake of, I'm, I'm going to say that it's a thumbs up on deep sea mining. Uh, Felicia started the argument where you say, hey, look, you know, it, it creates an incentive for us to get down there. We need yeah. to explore it and, and, and maybe a little, um, uh, a little, uh, financial incentive uh, on beha- will will help speed things along because we haven't done a whole lot uh, in the absence of that. I will say that uh, I am concerned, particularly because these these are non renewable uh, resources. I mean, these things yeah. take millennia, if if not longer. Yeah, millions of millions years to, of years to form. Yeah, and the crusts. the notion that we would go. And um, rely on. I, I, I think that the bigger thing is in if if our technologies require the use of heavy metals, how do we maximize? I think that we need to be thinking about you know recycling and keeping uh, the the minerals that we've already pulled out in circulation and maximizing. I think that a lot of that would be would go a real long ways before we just start uh, yeah. going for it. But hey, you it's know what? I'm idea. I'm I'm going to be thumbs up for the sake of argument. Um, all right, moving along. Offshore, another one, another one, Peter. That kind of has to do with energy technology. We're going to go offshore wind. Mixing it up this time. We're going to start with Chloe. <laughs> offshore wind. Thumbs up or thumbs down? I'm going to give offshore wind a thumbs up. Uh, as we are burning through our fossil fuels, we're obviously going to need a source of renewable energy. And I think offshore wind is a great um, alternative to that. Obviously, there are a lot of regulations to jump through. And there's been a lot of um, energy companies trying to set up offshore wind on the East Coast. But I think that renewable energy specifically in the form of wind and solar is going to be the future. So I'm going to give it a thumbs up. Thumbs up for Chloe Luca. What do you got? Uh, I have to give it a double thumbs up, honestly. Two thumbs up. Very yeah. good. Like the Fonz. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's working out really well for Great Britain, I think. They've invested a lot in offshore wind capabilities. And I think um, it, either the Netherlands or Germany did, too. Yep. And, um, you know, it's working out great for them. Wind reaches much higher speeds out there. And as long as you can build the transmission cables and the infrastructure underneath the sea, in order to you know reach the markets back on land, then it seems to be a very efficient renewable energy source so far. So yeah, very cool, very cool. So two thumbs up for Luca. That's our most enthusiastic thumbs up so far on this Christmas special, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. But Felicia, what do you have there on offshore wind? I do believe that there's some talk of doing offshore wind up there in the Pacific Northwest. This is not just academic yeah. uh, for you, Felicia. You could be looking at some windmills, or maybe not. They would be too far out for you to see from shore, but you could have your power when you flip your switch might be coming from offshore wind in the future. What do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down? I'd say thumbs up. And also, I think on the Pacific Northwest, because the energy, you have so much wave energy, they're looking at that as well. But uh, offshore wind energy, for sure, thumbs up. But make sure you work well with communities, and you have a good uh, marine spatial plan as well. It's uh-huh. a good idea, but it become, can you know turn out bad if you don't work well with other groups like you know fishermen, uh, recreational groups, uh, you know different agencies. It's something that is also tedious. It's a great idea, but can turn out as a disaster if you don't plan that well. Agreed. Well, we've seen that. We actually did a show on the Black Island Block Island uh, project there yeah. Yeah. in Rhode Island, uh, which is the first uh, offshore wind successful offshore wind project. Uh, and now it seems like there's going to be a whole lot more. Peter, thumbs up right. or thumbs down on on offshore wind? Well, yeah, uh, double thumbs up. I'll join Ooh. Luca in in it. I think it's uh, when you're look, thinking about climate change and carbon emissions. Uh, Power production, electricity generation is about 30% of the total produced. This is the easiest to replace uh, technology. Uh, coal and gas-fired generation uh, has its advantages, but uh, offshore wind and renewables are massive uh, and can make a huge dent, and already are, um, in 
carbon emissions. So I, I'm, it's a huge thing. I think Felicia's caution is right. Uh, you know, the, the state of Rhode Island's marine spatial plan for offshore wind is the most sophisticated and well done out there. So for uh, coastal states around America, if you want to know how to site these things and work with the community, as you said, Felicia, the fishermen and others who are affected by the placement of these things, uh, Rhode Island's great uh, example. But the money is there. There's a bunch of uh, investment going on. Uh, Luke is right. It's all been uh, proven to work in the North Sea. So it's an emerging industry on the American shoreline and I think is going to be a massive uh, force uh, economically and uh, for jobs along the American shoreline. I think it's a big deal. Agreed. You know, Peter, all this talk about wind energy uh, reminds me of actually a project that I had to study for one of my classes this last semester. And that was a case study of um, islands that have figured out how to sustainably act, harness their renewable energy resources. Oh, wow. And there was this one example of an island in the Canary Islands, I believe, uh, which is this uh, Spanish-owned archipelago off the coast of Northwest Africa. And in one of the islands, they actually created a um, giant battery out of an extinct volcano. So what they did is they pumped water up into the mountain um, using wind energy, offshore wind energy, and then when the wind isn't blowing and they still need their energy, they let the water flow down the, the mountain and into a hydroelectric plant. Just And then when the wind's blowing again, they just pump it right now, is back that up cool? the mountain. That is that's, cool. That's sophisticated is that cool? Stuff. I think that's, that's really cool. I think so. I think so. And that's why I would give offshore wind... Two thumbs up, just like Luca. I was waiting for another devil's advocate. No, take. well, I could, I could, I could do that, but I've got to say, I think that uh, I got to say that it, I, I'm consistent with deep sea mining and offshore wind. I'm all, I, I say, go for it. Uh, uh, obviously, it's got to be done correctly. That's always the case, um, and I do worry that they're going to try to put too many of these things mm-hmm. close together, and I do worry about cost cutting uh, with companies trying to. Uh, save money by because you know I, a lot of times I understand mm. that these projects are kind of government funded, and um, if you're on a fixed budget, I would worry about mm. uh, cutting corners to try to make more money. Huh. Um, but I, I, all in all, I love the enthusiasm of the East Coast going into it. I love to see California and the Pacific Northwest, Oregon and Washington, both considering plans. This is going to be a big technology around the globe. This is not just going to be an American shoreline feature. This is going to be everywhere. Right. Uh, I think it behooves uh, the American marketplace to, to lead on all sectors of it from yeah. financing it, planning it in maintaining them, bu- constructing the them, building the turbines, the whole nine yards. There's a whole economic engine here. So I am two thumbs up. Now, this next one, I know, Luca, you have thoughts on. So the next category of thumbs up or thumbs down is aquaculture. What do you think about your thumbs up or thumbs down on aquaculture going forward? Well, first off, I think aquaculture is a super cool word. Just It's like agriculture, but you just put aqua in there. And it definitely <laughs> accurately describes what, uh, what it does. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a thumbs up on that. I think that um, every other type of food that we eat, uh, that people consume is grown on farms and consumed like that. Um, except for, you know, um, when people go hunting and, you know, people eat deer meat or whatever, but that's just a very, very small percent of what we eat. So it makes total sense to also farm, you know, the living organisms in the ocean that we consume on a daily basis, like uh, fin fish, shellfish, crustaceans, you know, the whole nine yards. So I'm a thumbs up on that. Thumbs up on that. Chloe, you have a thought on... Uh on aquaculture thumbs up thumbs down i would give it a thumbs up i think aquaculture is definitely a more sustainable option than uh the overfishing that we've seen uh across the world i think aquaculture would help relieve the strain on wild fisheries and allow it to recover there are some concerns with aquaculture though as um there have been some cases where there's outbreaks of disease and which is hard to manage in aquaculture pens. And then there are cases where um, the farmed fish break out and are reintroduced into the wild, which leads to 
problems in that ecosystem. But I think overall, I would give it a thumbs up. Interesting. Peter, I know you have some thoughts on aquaculture. What do you think? Uh, you know, um, thumbs up or thumbs down? It's a, this is a, a cautionary thumbs up. Um, it's another industry on the American shoreline that is set over the next 10 years to expand substantially. Uh, the federal government is in the process of changing the rules on leasing offshore federal waters for uh, aquaculture offshore. Uh, this is a coming industry that's going to, again, produce economic benefits and jobs along the American shoreline. So in that way, it's really good. But uh, like the wind power uh, caution that Felicia raised, um, siting is a key issue. And the feedstock is probably the biggest concern that I have is to the extent that uh, the species that are raised are fed with animal protein, which is commonly done now. So menhaden and sardines and other bait fish are being scooped up in massive numbers and netted up there. and yeah, and ground up into fish meal. Now that that's a that's not a good way to go here. It's going to have a substantial impact on these uh, on these feedstocks. So if they can and they're researching this to to come up with agricultural based proteins that they can they can do it. But there's a lot of complexity to aquaculture. I think it's coming our way. Uh, I'm with I'm, I'm with Chloe on this. It does uh, take the pressure off of these wild uh, stocks that are not necessarily capable of meeting market demand. Well, not necessarily. Hell, they're not. Um, so we got to get better. And I think this is a good thing. I'd, I'd give it a cautionary right. thumbs up. All right. That's that's a good a cautionary thumbs yeah. up. Yeah. Uh, still, we have unanimous thumbs up. Chloe or, or uh, excuse me, Felicia, are you going to go along with the thumbs up train or are you going to break it? <sighs> Man, that's tough. I was going to be also on the cautionary thumbs up because um, if it's done well, you know, it's it, it, it. I think we need based on like how much. Um, seafood is consumed in the world. I think aquaculture is needed in a way to relieve some of the pressure yeah, on the wild stocks. But not only that, it's like a lot of people are eating seafood, especially you know in countries like in Asia. And they and I think aquaculture, if it's done well, would be you know a good source of protein, protein versus what you have with agriculture. But like also Peter mentioned, I think we need a lot of innovations in that field. And I recently read something about how um, algaes could be used as a source of uh, fish oil. I mean, can replace fish oil for like the feed for agriculture. So there are a lot of research about on that. And I think that's really good because we need that. We need to revise agriculture and how we do it. So we doesn't become more of a problem like Chloe mentioned and like Peter as well, more like a, a problem than a solution to increase seafood uh, production. But also, I think it shouldn't become, when you look at also fisheries and aquaculture, uh, aquaculture shouldn't become also just the main source because fisheries, especially if they're artisanal fisheries, they are also great livelihoods, like the fish, you know, is is healthy, uh, didn't have to use any kind of like, doesn't have any environmental impact because it's one of the last food we have directly from the wild. And when you look at different sector as well, like for shellfish production, these are done mostly, for example, here in the Pacific Northwest, when you go to Puget Sound and Hood Canal, um, yeah, they just have their oysters there, but it's not like you need to feed them. They're just like uh, filter feeders and actually they're pretty good for water quality, except when you have harmful algal bloom, you have to be careful or some pollution in the area. But again, if you work closely with different agencies and monitor water quality, it's great. Um, but yeah, here also with salmon, I said, I'm not going to open this can of worm because it's like a hot topic here. But, you know, so that the whole, um, you know, salmon industry and, um, yeah, and having some escapes also in Puget Sound and and all that. It's yeah, that's a whole episode, podcast episode in itself. I would oh, it's say. complicated. Well, I have a question for yeah. Felicia. Uh, growing up on the island of Corsica, um, what were the fisheries like there? What were the fish markets there? Were were there seasonal? Was it very local? Was what was it like there? So it's mostly artisanal fisheries that you have them. You have also a little of aquaculture. 
uh, too. But no, fisheries are year-round. It's going to be a mix of pelagic fish and rockfish. We also have spiny lobsters. There is also like an urchin fishery. Um, and mostly people basically, like fishermen going out with their boats, They, if you want to find fresh fish, you go directly to the harbor. They may sell it to you from their boats or they have contracts with uh, restaurants. That's but there is good. nothing at the industrial level, really. Um, it's not at that scale. That sounds lovely. I like that local what local about, connection. What about you, Tyler, on aquaculture? Where do you come down? Thumb up. Thumb I'm going to do a uh, double sideways thumb. <laughs> which I've never is, heard of that right before. On. Yeah, that is double sideways thumb. It's, uh, I forget what they call this new thing that Joe Biden uh, is <laughs> enterprising. It's like extreme moderate, like being an extreme moderate. That's what I'm going for here. I really love, I love aquaculture um, as a concept. I do worry about fin fish. I love the idea of seaweed. I think the main thing is that in addition to furnishing uh, humanity with the protein and food that we need to survive, we also need to, humanity itself needs to ask uh, ourselves, what is a sustainable expectation of what we can eat? How much beef does that include with our population? How much fish does that include? And uh, when you start thinking about that, I mean, boy, uh, some of maybe perhaps our expectations of everything being wild or, you know, aren't aren't just going to be there. We actually, Peter, on the Seafoodie show this past summer, we had a a, uh, uh, several shows, but uh, a couple of the interesting ones were cell-based fish protein. Yep. Um, which is a, this is a synthetic uh, product that they're basically making fish protein in a, like a brewery type of setup, these yep. big stainless steel vats. And then they pump this liquid into uh, like molds and mold it, I believe, into uh, a, a product. But it would be like, you know, a filet of salmon or something. Very interesting. Um, the future, what the future holds there in, in alternatives. That's not exactly aquaculture. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm in favor of it, especially with seaweed and, um, you know, filter feeders, bivalves, mussels, those kind of things. I'm, I'm in favor of that. I do not, I hear Peter out in uh, the Pacific Northwest yeah, uh, with, those, with those gooey ducks and things like that, where you've got PVC pipes just all over the beach. That's not that does not strike me as as right, and we we did another show this past year with the with our yeah. the our, our attorney friends, and they yes. they set us straight. Dane Tinson and uh, and yeah, they set us straight on um, some of the the legal uh, difficulties here that aquaculture has really had. I mean, they're, the the use of, for example, pesticides or herbicides mm-hmm. in areas where they're doing these uh, uh, shellfish aquaculture. So they've got clams down, and they don't want uh, seagrass is growing over the top of their operation because it, it mucks up their their clean operation. So they're using herbicides in the water. Well, that strikes me as. Yeah, and by the way, terrible. these are filter feeders, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to be eating these things. Yeah, I don't know about that. All right, no, we have a, a couple. It's a complicated more. topic. It is. We have a couple more, and I want to get through them here, ladies and gentlemen, because it is Christmas. And uh, we want to get you back to your regular Christmas day. Uh, but first, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reverse the order here because I'm saving this big one for last. But living shorelines, living shorelines. Who's, I'm going to go with Felicia first. Felicia, what are your <laughs> thoughts? Thumbs up or thumbs down on living shorelines? This is a complicated one. It is. Um, but I go double thumbs up. Oh, wow. Living shorelines. Um, because I think, yeah, they can, I mean, based on so many projects that has been happening on the coast, they seem that these are like a, a resilient way to deal with um, coastal hazards because the coast is, especially, I mean, here in the Pacific Northwest, because of erosion, flooding, sea level rise, it has a lot of effects and we want something that is going to last and not cause more damages and they've been doing a lot of projects involving either you know adding rocks or even just trees to the shoreline to help protect those areas or even having areas like along the coast instead of having for example like a 
waterfront in some places, like make sure you have a park or like some marshland that are going to absorb also all this like um, energy and yeah, for coming from the water. Um, so yeah, there are different ways of doing it, but I think it's, you know, it's the way to do it. It's the way, the way to go. It's definitely an evolution in the, yeah. in the uh, thinking there of how to manage a shoreline. Well, I'd give this a thumbs up in general because the, the the alternative that we're talking about here is is coastal communities around America adjust to sea level rise and uh, increase hazards and risks. Uh, the two kind of the fork in the road is structures and uh, seawalls and and revetments and that kind of thing as a way to protect upland property. If you can do that with marshes and wetlands and oyster reefs and other living shorelines, uh, including dune systems, you know, it's a little, it's a better deal. Uh, but as, as my good friend, Rob Young, uh, and Tyler, we've had Rob on the podcast a bunch of times at the, the executive director at the center for the study of developed shorelines at, uh, uh, NC, what is it? Western, Western Carolina, Western right? Carolina, yeah, Western Carolina university. I mean, he, Rob is fine with living shorelines, but he's very skeptical of what is being defined as a living shoreline. Right. Rock mm-hmm. revetments and very heavy stone infrastructure with some marsh behind it does not a living shoreline make, I think Rob Young would say. So, uh, you know, it's another thing where using the nat- natural system to, to, to respond to shoreline change is an awesome deal. Um, it's got to be like everything else. Can it be done right? That's my two cents. Chloe, what do you think? Mm-hmm. I would agree with Peter. I'm going to give it a thumbs up. I think uh, using um, natural solutions to the problems of sea level rise and erosion um, both helps the coastal communities mitigate risks and helps the natural environment um, that are also facing impacts from uh, erosion. Um, I would agree that I think it is good in theory, but it is a matter of how it's implemented. But uh, overall, I would give it a thumbs up. Couldn't have said it better myself. Luca, what do you think? It definitely depends on how you define a living shoreline. Yeah. So what, what Peter said earlier about you can't just have, you know, a concrete structure and then some biomass behind it and say that that's expect that to work. It's just it just won't. So it's just essential that you have, you know, the proper type of biomass for miles inland. And, you know, this goes to urban planning and uh, community planning as well. You can't just have a concrete jungle and then, you know, right in front of it, have a few miles of swamp and then say, this is our barrier. It's going to save us. You actually have to, you know, have green spaces and um, a lot of biomass within cities as well. And I hear one of the reasons that Houston flooded so bad uh, during Hurricane Harvey was because um, this the city is very oriented towards vehicles. So they have to eliminate a lot of you know, grasses and forests in order to build these parking lots and bridges and overpasses. So there wasn't any way for this water to be drained. So I think it's, we're, we're learning these lessons the hard way right now. And it's important that we just go ahead and invest in it now. Uh, I believe there's a very interesting ASPNU episode about oysters, actually. And that's right. Know, their potential for, you know, cleaning, uh, cleaning ocean w- water and shoreline water. So I think that is one of the many types of species that we can be planting. Um, I don't know if planting is the right growing, word. Growing? Propagating. Propagating. <laughs> I like propagating. Seeding. <laughs> Seeding is a good yes. one. So you're going thumbs up. I think I am, yes. All right. I am too, except I, I'm going to caveat, I think we're just really like quadruple underlining the fact that living shorelines is a gray area word. It is somewhere between a retreating shoreline, a natural shoreline that is just on a live shoreline, I suppose, and a dead shoreline, which is just a concrete wall, I would say, or yeah. just complete armament, completely an engineered solution, like a complete gray wall. Mm-hmm. And within there, within that is a gradient from like 0% to 100% of, of how good it is. And if it's at 2% living... And 98% concrete, sorry, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that is not a a step in the right direction. That is using the buzzword and the requirement. That is greenwashing uh, the engineering. And we should be be demanding that the engineering uh, evolve and gets 
more and more on the side. And I just believe that living shorelines go hand in hand with managed retreat. And I think increasingly, this is going to be my prediction that increasingly in the next decade, we're going to be talking about those things together because I, I just believe that they do go together on the coast. All right. So final, final uh, category here is a double. So it's a, it's a double for each one. We're each going to do two. It's generally speaking, we're going to give a, a rating, a thumbs up or thumbs down on government, but we're going to break it into local government, which I will include. We, we can, we can, if you want to do more, if you want to go to state or if you have a count, but I'm going to say local government and federal government like it is on Coastal News today. So uh, who wants to go first here? I'm, I'm tempted to go with Peter because, Peter, I know you're such a, uh, a, a hound on the government of, of how it's performing, but... Um, yeah, Peter, why don't you kick us right. out? I think, I think, you, you know, it's a, it's a tough thumb up, thumb down because it's a very general uh, topic, is. but the, the, the notion of where the role Coastal of the government on, on the coast, you know, you have to go thumbs up. I mean, we operate as a society through our representative institutions, uh, amongst them, uh, the government infrastructure primarily, but you know, other NGOs and universities and other public institutions make a difference. Uh, you know, and the federal government is a massive player on the American shoreline uh, with the Corps of Engineers, support for ports and waterways all over the country, massive funding for land and water conservation, uh, environmental funding, the EPA. I mean, where, where, where do you stop? I mean, NOAA, uh, my favorite federal agency, and, and yeah. uh, you know, the National Weather Service and the Hurricane Center and all of that stuff. So, you know, you got it. We've got to have a strong, functioning, uh, capable, competent uh, clear-eyed uh, federal government structure to uh, make the American shoreline what it should be. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping that we get a little bit of that in the next administration. Uh, and at the local level, I would just, uh, you know, big thumbs up to all of the mayors and county commissioners and city council members and aldermen and, you know, flood control districts and levy improvement districts and port authority people that operate at, in local government around the American shoreline. This is the hard work. And this is where the rubber meets the road and the water meets the land. And the issues are complicated. And uh, the people who hang in there and do that job at local governments all around the American shoreline, I have nothing but respect for. Even when I disagree with them, I know it's a tough damn job and it's a, uh, it's a complicated space. And so, uh, you know, I'm I'm giving a Merry Christmas out to all the all the government a people Merry who, Christmas who work on this stuff and, two thumbs and, up. and a Happy New Year and a, and a Happy Holiday, all that stuff. All right, Chloe, what do you think? Well, I would have to give the federal government a sideways thumb for its performance this year. Um, they recently passed the WRDA, so a lot of funding will be put towards um, infrastructure and coastal engineering, which is a good thing. Um, there have been a lot of rollbacks of environmental protections this year, uh, which have had a negative impact on the coast. But I think um, overall, I'm just going to give it a, a nice sideways thumb. As far as local governments go, I think they, I would agree with Peter, have done a really good job at um, working with their communities to focus on their own issues and really having an idea of what their communities need, what their particular town shoreline needs. And I think the local governments um, are usually don't get enough credit, but I'm going to give them a thumbs up. Lovely, lovely. Luca, what do you think? For the local governments, you know, their needs are so diverse and each community has its different needs. You know, there are some fishing communities, some um, some towns and cities that rely on tourism or one of the many other ocean sectors. So it absolutely makes sense that local governments are going to watch out for their own interests. And I think that leaders all across, you know, the, the American shoreline are doing a spectacular job at ensuring that their, um, that their communities survive, um, economically during this pandemic, as well as, um, you know, make inroads into the sustainability of their economies. So I think Local leaders across the nation are doing a spectacular job. Um, I do think there's more, um, it's necessary for there to be more coordination at uh, state, local, and federal level. Like these government, these different levels of government need to be working together to develop comprehensive plans for how to manage the coastal space. Um, I think the, the secret behind any good planning is going to be 
um, doing a geospatial analysis and assessments of the coastline and of the ocean space beforehand, before making any type of um, project, especially if it's something like an oil drilling project where you're extracting natural resources or, as we talked about earlier, deep sea mining. So um, I think absolutely more coordination on federal, state, and local level. I think the federal government honestly needs to be giving money to these state and local governments. And so they could definitely step that up. So I'll give it a sideways thumb as well. I think it's overall um, absolutely necessary, the role of government in managing the shoreline, but we need to be doing a better job of it. Very good. Very good. Felicia, you're up next. Local and federal government, what do you think? So I'd say for local government, um, yeah, definitely thumbs up. I mean, also I've been living in, I would base that also on where I've been living, like such as Rhode Island and Washington State and Oregon. There's definitely an effort in definitely working more closely with communities, have their feedback, offering guidance, and see what the community's vision and needs are before, you know, just imposing specific rules. So I think it's been working well there and, we can, and we've seen also in some states that the governors have been working pretty hard in making sure that fundings are going to be allocated to different environmental issues um, addressed by the different state agencies working in, in you know, that state. So I would say, yeah, thumbs up for that. Related to the federal government, I agree with Chloe, it, you know, those last couple of years, I think uh, there've been some changes that were maybe not always for the best, but I'm really hopeful for the future. And those federal agencies, like also Peter mentioned, between, for example, NOAA, which also is my favorite agent, federal agency, I would say I've been consistent in the good work they've been doing. And I definitely see a momentum now going with you know, getting better. We, we're getting there. And I think yeah. over the years, over the decades, we've been, there've been huge improvements. And sometimes maybe we're frustrated because we see that things don't move fast enough. But when you look back at what has been accomplished over, yeah, you know, past decades, it's like, no, we, it's good. We have to say positive and there is a lot of hope. And yeah, as long as everyone is getting the work done and collaborate and, yeah, so I'm really hopeful for 2021. Me too. And I would say I'm given two sideways thumbs there for both federal and local and state, all government. I'm given the sideways. I mean, COVID was just a, a total like fast. It was like a fast forward through climate change in government. And we saw the federal mm -hmm. government fail to lead, fail to enact policies in time, just always behind the eight ball. We saw lack a lot of um, uh, lack of coordination between the feds and the states and the states trying to take the lead. And we saw what that got us to, which was a lot of uh, competition that didn't really get us anywhere. It didn't really help the whole. And uh, then we saw local governments try and um, try to hold back, do the right thing. We we featured Peter uh, Mayor. Uh, uh, Manzetti, man, I'm, I'm bl uh, blanking on his name, but um, from New Jersey, a beach town in New Jersey, and yeah, he, Mancini, Mancini, excuse me, and from he Long Branch, Long Beach, North, uh, New Jersey. That's right, and yeah. and he the township of Long Beach. He was trying so hard to keep that town healthy, and but was also sucked into because of the because of our government leadership, this partisan battle of who's trying to lock who down and who's trying to... And I'm just going to say, you know what? I mean, I'm, I'm doing two thumbs down just on the basis of that. Um, really, really pathetic leadership um, for our country. And I, if this is not, I should say, the people who work in the government. This is not your NOAA researcher or, or what have you, they, of course, get sucked up into it and are oftentimes just compelled to stay quiet to protect themselves. But I'm talking about really the leadership has been really bad. I'm going to two thumbs down for me. We need to improve there. We need to be more. Uh, we need to have better leadership that's that's more ambitious, that demands more out of all of us. We are so capable of addressing the challenges that we have before us on the American shoreline 
if we commit ourselves to it and stop fighting over stupid shit. So uh, <laughs> I'm saying thumbs down there. Um, and a Frank analysis a Frank by ana- Tyler Buckingham. Uh, well, you which know, is good. Clarity is an important thing. I started off. I started off with a couple uh, uh, with a thumbs down, and I'm ending with a thumbs down. Um, so to wrap this show up, we would like to. I would like to learn what everyone has planned for Christmas this year. Uh, let's start over here with Luca. Luca, what what's on tap for Christmas in your family this year? Man, so not much, honestly. What we usually do, I mentioned at the beginning of this po- podcast, is do a road trip all the way up to Topeka, Kansas, and spend a lot of time with you know extended family. So this year we're going to take it easy, just um, hang out at home. I've been living at my mom's these last couple weeks um, before I moved to North Carolina, which I'm going to be doing in January. But um, yeah, it's it's really nice. Um, I have the upstairs to myself because we're trying to socially distance in the home right now. But um, overall, we're going to have a Christmas dinner and out on the porch, and then we're going to open presents the next morning. So good, wholesome family fun. Love that. Love that. Chloe, how are you doing it? Also in Austin here. Yeah. So I'm lucky to have uh, my family so close by and to be in the same circle uh, this year with COVID. So we are just going to be the five of us at home. Uh, We're going to have a Christmas dinner. We're going to open Christmas presents in the morning and then uh, have a dinner in the afternoon, evening, Uh, probably drive around and look at Christmas lights. Um, But it's going to be a more quiet Christmas than we usually have. But I'm fortunate to be able to I'm, spend it with my parents. I'm I'm curious to know how that powers Christmas is on a normal year. I, it's, I bet it's pretty pretty rolling. Peter, what do you got planned? Well, I think like everybody else, we're a little bit tied down. Uh, I got a COVID test this week. I'm waiting results, uh, my wife and I, because we'd like to get together with her grandmother, who is in an assisted facility. Uh, but you have to be tested and has to be negative. So we're waiting to see. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's going to be small. It's going to be my wife and I, and my son is going to come over, uh, during the day, uh, with his, uh, uh, significant other. So we're going to get to see a little bit of family. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's going to be, it's, it, it, it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be great. And, you know, we're trying to make sense out of what's going on and do the best we can with it. So I'm kind of, I'm looking forward to Christmas this year. After a long year, a little bit of celebration. I'm, I'm very happy. Oh, to, there'll, there'll be celebration. Yeah, there'll be there'll celebration. Be, it's good. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. All right, Felicia, what do you got cooking up over there in Vancouver, Washington? <laughs> so actually my husband's brother lives a couple of hours from us in Oregon and for Thanksgiving, we're like, okay, we don't do anything because of you know COVID. And and we're like, okay, if we do something for Christmas, okay, let's do it, but let's be really careful. So after a lot of back and forth, we decided yet yeah, to go and see them, but it's going to be just a husband and I and my brother-in-law, my sister-in-law and their kids. So looking forward to that, because even if we don't live far from each other, we didn't see each other in a year <laughs> because of COVID. So... We're going to do that. And just to see the kids playing with their toys and all that is going to be really, really great. Have a little of joy and laughter in the air will be nice uh, after this, yeah, doom and gloom season. Yeah, so looking forward to that, but always being really careful too. That's That sounds like a, a nice, uh, good meeting. Uh, and I too will just be taking it easy. Uh, my girlfriend will be working uh, on the front lines of the pandemic uh, on over the holidays. So I will be uh, probably just here by myself a little bit, hanging out with friends on the phone. I'll be, you know, FaceTiming uh, with my with my family who's in California. I mean, I'll be fine. Uh, and I'm going to be cooking up shows because Peter, uh, we will be, for Monday's American Shoreline podcast, we will be doing our big year in review show. Yeah. And uh, so uh, right after Christmas, uh, we're going to be getting together there on Saturday to recap the year, kind of like we did with Thumbs Up, Thumbs Down, but we're going to go a little bit uh, yeah, in a little, little bit, bit more, more detail. Yeah. I uh, hope it'll be a good show. Yeah, it, it will be. Uh, I'm quite certain of it. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, 
All right. Well, uh, this has been a lot of fun, uh, team. I really appreciate y'all being here. Before we wrap up, I want to give everyone a chance to do a final thought on this Christmas. And Luca, you've got a final thought. You've like came out of the out of the barrel hot right here with this super (laughs) hot take. You want to talk about a tourism case? uh, Where was this? Oh, this was in the Cayman Islands, yeah. Yeah, so what? what I guess this is a, a cautionary uh, final thought. Yeah, I mean, be careful, guys. Follow the rules because there could be consequences if you don't. Um, I was just read the other day this article about a Georgia college student who um, she actually went to the Cayman Islands recently to visit her boyfriend uh, and watch him in a jet skiing competition. Um, so... <laughs> You know, I mean, I guess that was necessary, a central travel, I suppose. Um, but her father is actually Dennis Mack. She's the daughter of Dennis Mack, who's a very famous professional uh, jet skier. Oh, really? Yeah. And so she came to the watch The Dennis Mack? Apparently, yes. And um, uh, what ended up happening is that the the island's government, the local government there, has pretty strict regulations in regards to containing the coronavirus. So they required her to quarantine for 14 days, but she deliberately um, complained about how loose her her tracking monitor was and then ended up taking it off um, and leaving to go to the jet ski competition. And the the courts cracked down on her and her boyfriend, actually, for intentionally breaking protocol. And they sentenced them both to four months in Cayman Islands prison. And so now the grandmother... It just uh, just appealed to President Donald Trump and said, "Can you can you work th- things out with the local authorities and get my daughter back?" Well, we'll see what's happening. What's going to happen? Probably, what'll just end up happening is she'll serve the four months and then she'll be fine. I don't know. Trump might also send the Navy over and be like, yeah, "We'll hurt you if you don't." You never know with Trump. You never know with Trump. All right, Chloe, what are your final thoughts for this show? My final thoughts are, even though 2020 has been, um, I'm going to say, a less than stellar year for uh, all of the country, I think that there's a lot of things to look forward to in 2021, both um, federally, at the state level, and even at um, right here at ASPN. I think there's a lot of good things in the works and a lot of things to look forward to in 2021. So my final thought is I'm glad to be ending the year with all of you, and I hope all of you have happy holidays. Thank you. Well, thank you, uh, Chloe. Felicia, what you got for us? Final thought. I always say hang on. It's almost over. <laughs> 2020 is almost over. So, yeah, me too. Like, uh, I would follow Chloe on that. It's like this year has been tough for everyone and for more people and more so than than me. Uh, I know that for sure. But yeah, really hopeful for 2021. So hang on. And yeah, also looking forward to the vaccine. That's also is good news. And after, of course, if everyone is getting vaccinated, that is another story. But yeah, like looking forward 2021, um, working for ESPN, new government, um, hopefully a vaccine so people can go back to kind of a let's say a new normal because it won't be as it was before, but it's okay. You know, things happen. We roll with it and deal with the situations. Hopefully we learn from them. And after, um, I feel like, yeah, it's kind of like pushing on kind of like the reset button in a way, but by learning uh, from everything that is happening this year and hopefully being better people with that too. I hope so. Peter, well, you know, what I'm going to uh, just wanted to, to say to everybody, to Chloe and Luca, Felicia, uh, our friend Bill O'Byrne, who helps us out on ASPN and Coastal News Today, and to you, Tyler. Uh, 2020 has been a tar- hard year, but it brought this team together. And uh, I'm just really thankful for this year and for the contributions, Luca, that you've brought in your talent and Chloe, your skill and your talent and Felicia's insight and leadership has been really spectacular. And uh, this is something Tyler and I cooked up and started in September 2018 and kind of struggled to keep going with it uh, for a couple years. And to see this group of people happen this year, you know, it's it, this for that reason, 2020 is going to always be one of my favorite years because it's the chance that Coastal News Today and ASPN 
kind of came to tame to life. So uh, I just want to thank all of y'all for what you've done to make this thing uh, absolutely more fun and tr- significantly better. And uh, Tyler, it's been a pleasure all year working with you. So happy holidays to all y'all. And I wish everybody a really good 2021. Yeah. And I would just add that I would extend uh, a very Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to all of you out there, our listeners. We would not be here uh, without you. And uh, we hope that you're having a safe, happy holiday somewhere warm and cozy um, or maybe in the Caymans if you're in prison um, but that you're that you're safe and that you are uh, taking stock of all the good things that happened this year because Peter I agree with you uh, despite the challenges and the just the tremendous toll that this global pandemic that we found ourselves in the midst of has taken on all of us uh, we have we have learned some really positive things about ourselves we've created some positive things together And this team came together, and I'm really grateful for it. So thank you to our listeners. Thank you to our team here at ASPN. And I think from all of us to y'all, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Merry Merry Christmas. Christmas. Happy holidays.